for it to be This is small town music This is big town music He's ahead of his time, you know But he can't use it If only he could prove it Well, tomorrow's just a song away A song away A song away Welcome your host, Pat Francis. Hey everybody, how you doing? Are you guys ready for us to read from probably the four greatest books ever written? Uh, we got a great show tonight. Uh, my name is Pat Francis. I host the Rock Solid Podcast. Uh, I am in the Kiss Army. And uh, I've read these books cover to cover. I've, uh, I've chosen the passages that you will hear tonight. And I've uh, chosen an excellent group of funny dudes to, uh, I've never said funny dudes in my life, uh, to come out here and help me with this show. Uh, we hope you like it. And let me get them out here right now. First of all, I, I, this guy's been my friend for over 30 years. I was in his wedding. He's the host of the Never Not Funny podcast. It's in its 10th year and its 18th season. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome, as Peter Chris, Jimmy Pardo. Hi, how you doing? Do I talk to you No, you go sit down, Jimmy. You sit down. And then don't say anything. Are you okay with that? <laughs> uh, the next look at gen- this guy. I, I don't know why look, he's Johnny chiming Chance in. Johnny over here. He's probably an, are you a Never Not Funny fan or a Rock Solid fan? I've never heard of any of this. Holy fuck. Okay. Okay. Well, that's, that's okay. All right. Maybe explain the rules of uh, comedy to your father. That we'll, we'll, do the, we'll do the talking. He does the shutting. Is that a father and son team? Father and son. Son seems like a good guy. And the dad? Despite his raising. <laughs> okay. Uh, next person coming to the stage. Uh, he's 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 a writer. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's an a, acting sometimes. I call him a humorist. Yeah. His book is out right now. It's Party of One, a memoir in 21 songs. Please welcome Dave Holmes. <laughs> Last but not least is uh, a guy that makes me laugh all the time. He's, uh, he's been doing stand-up comedy for what? I'm going to say 50, 55 years. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. He just released a three-CD set. It's like, it's like the history of you doing stand-up. It's the Chronicles of Fetterman. Yep. You also pop up in movies sometimes. Knocked up? Yep. Give another one. My favorite one. You know my favorite one. Uh, Legally Blonde. Legally, Legally Blonde? Legally Blonde, people. Who do you play in Legally Blonde? The most important person. I'm on the board... Uh, at Harvard that allows uh, her, L, I think is the character's name, into Harvard. Do you want to give us a line read from that? No, but I will tell you this. She doesn't get into Harvard. There's no movie. <laughs> she ends up going to Orange County Community College. No fish out of water. Am I right? No, yeah. no. So literally, you could have shut this thing down at any time. <laughs> okay. Well. Right? <laughs> like, it, if you would have said a different line, the director would have said, well, that's a wrap, and right. we don't have a film. Thanks, Wayne. No, exactly, exactly. Is that how movies... I don't know how movies work. Well, I don't think we have time to explain it right okay. now, but uh, maybe after the maybe show. The, maybe the next time we'll come, we'll, we'll read uh, screenplays of Reese Witherspoon films. 
Yes, Jimmy? Pat, when you come over here, if you could uh, find a smaller table, that'd be great. <laughs> this is, uh, they wanted to give me like a four top where we would all sit like we were having dinner. Yeah. Yeah, but this is the one we went with. We are, you're going to be snug, baby. That's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind You don't being mind sn- snug. I don't mind snug. With, I know you don't like touching people. I don't people. like the middle seat. No. Oh, well, you're on the end then. I, you're I'm fine. I'm on the end, Lucy. I, I, I know, I'm, on the end, yeah. I'm coming over to snuggle, guys. Get ready. Pat Francis. Right. Pat Francis. Play me over. Pat Francis. Play me over with something. Yeah, this is so exciting. Right. You played me over with Mainline. I think that's a drug. Is that a drug song, Jimmy? Yeah, that's off Hotter Than Hell. I think that's about drugs. Is that off Hotter Than Hell or is that Dressed to Kill? Might be the first album. Kyle? Hotter Than Hell. Hotter, Hotter Than Hell. Hell. I was Jimmy. right the first time. Thank you, Kyle. So let's go down the table real quick. Jimmy, yeah. you're in the Kiss Army? I, I pat him, well, I'm AWOL right now. Um, no way. I was willing to rock roll all night. I was not willing to party every day. <laughs> all right. Uh, right now, there's a 57-year-old man dressed like a kitty cat roaming the streets looking for me. <laughs> I hear him calling. Can't come home right now. <laughs> Dave, I'm going to say you are not in the Kiss Army. No, I'm not. Uh, Kiss is the first thing I remember being frightened of (laughs) as a child. Yeah. Just the imagery? I think the imagery, yeah. Seemed vaguely satanic. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. Angular letters and whatnot. Kids in Satan's service. That's what it stands for. I thought it was knights. Uh, Yeah, I heard knights. Knights in Satan's service. Or kids. Yeah. Kids that are knights. K-K-I-S-S. You thought it was Chris Christopherson in Satan's service. Well, I've never seen him and Satan in the same room together, so... Maybe. Uh, I'm not in the Kiss Army, but I have been roaming around town holding this. <laughs> I know. So I feel like I should get some sort of decal. What kind of looks bonus. do you get when you walk around with a book like that? I, I, it's just, it's quizzical, and then I wonder why, and then I look down, and I see this <laughs> from whenever the fuck it came out. <clears throat> and then kids run when you and hold that kid, up. Yeah, children run away. Wayne, yes. you're in the Kiss Army. Well, this is, the, the fact is I was drafted mm-hmm. into the Kiss Army. Yeah. yeah. But then I just got out of it by serving in the Grand Funk Railroad Air National Guard. All right. <laughs> That's on the Chronicles of Fetterman. That's on the Chronicles of Fetterman. I teed that up for him like a host should. Uh, well, but I, mean, I was drafted. I was drafted. You were drafted. Wait, you were drafted into the real army? No, no, I was drafted into the Kiss Army. I'm a Led Zeppelin fan. Let's start All reading right. people. All right, we're going to start. Uh, we decided that we're going to say uh, it's going to be uh, sometimes we will read uh, something from Kistory uh, that, all, that all four people discussed in their book, and sometimes we'll just go uh, off the rails uh, like a crazy train. That's Ozzy Osbourne, right, Jimmy? That's right, Pat. Randy Rhodes on guitar. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what we're going to do right now. Jimmy, you would like to start uh, reading from what's possibly... Uh, it's, this is the worst, best book. It's, it's the worst book because I don't believe a word of it. But it's the best book because I don't believe a word of it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, that was written by uh, Peter Chris with Larry Ratso Sloman. Yeah, Sloman. That's, uh, that's Katso and Ratso is what I call those two guys. That's who wrote that book. I worked on that. Oh. I wrote that, <laughs> yeah. looked in the mirror, delivered it, laughed at it, stood up, applause break. That's the one, Katso and Ratso. You need more than Kyle just laughing at a passenger seat. I know. That's what you need. I know. Uh, this is uh, Peter Chris's book. Let's give a little history of this book. Uh, written in 2012. It's called Kiss and Break Up. Very witty. Uh, no. three, 384 pages of, uh, of bullshit in that book. So, Jimmy, uh, you got your glasses on? You ready to go? Yeah, it's actually called Make Up to Break Up. What did I say it was? Uh, a kiss to Make Up. Oh, yeah, I have the wrong title down. <laughs> you might be reading the wrong book. Oh, shit. <laughs> 
What if there were two Peter Chris books? And I memorized the wrong one? Yeah. We were supposed to memorize these uh, front to back, right? Oh, yeah, we're off book tonight. This is just a prop. Yeah, I hope we're going to hold them up in front of our face and just, yeah. you know, just do impressions do and everything. clutch cargo style. Uh, all right, Jimmy, you're going to read about groupies and a photo shoot. Okay, here we go. Now, the good news is there's no light behind us to shine on the book. No. <laughs> uh... <laughs> There should have been some sort of lighting behind us, I think. This, I, I, I blame, uh, uh, well, I blame Donald Trump. Um, Is that backlighting? I'm looking for some backlighting, uh, but uh, you you know, that'll all change in November. You We're can gonna flatten fix it out. Look at Dave. Dave has a lot of light over I here. I do. I'm uh, all right, here we go. Uh, uh, again, Peter Chris. now. When I came to after I blacked out, I didn't know where I was for a few seconds. All I knew was that a naked woman who had been wearing a ram's head was giving me head while I was slumped in a huge chair fit for a king. I looked over to the corner of the room and a guy was fucking a chick doggy style and her titties were bouncing in joyous unison. Next to them, two guys were sucking each other off. Was I tripping on acid? When I looked the other way, I felt some relief to recognize Ace, who was banging some chick in the corner. Then I remembered. We were shooting the cover for our second album with the great photographer Norman Seif. <laughs> Seif had hired 20 women and 20 men to surround us in an elaborate medieval gothic tableau. To lubricate the scene, the set was stocked with plenty of champagne, scotch, whiskey, rum, you name it. It might have been the scotch that, uh, that gave me the temporary amnesia. It was certainly all that liquor that fueled what became more of an orgy than a photo shoot. But as drunk as I was, Paul was even more sloshed, which was a rarity for a guy who was so concerned with losing his cool. He was lying half-naked, on a velvet bed, offering no resistance at all to the half-dozen girls and guys who were buzzing around him like the bees drawn to honey. That's why Gene made his move. If one dick had gone into Paul's defenseless mouth or up his ass, there would have been seven more dicks a-swarming. So Gene swooped in and grabbed Paul and carried him out, on, uh, out of Dante's Inferno. He deposited him in the backseat of our rental car and lock the doors. Welcome to Los Angeles. <laughs> I can't get a look what I need. People all around me, letting them leave. Wait for the darkness to blind the heat. I'll make my living out on the streets. Dirty living. Dirty living. I feel bad taking that applause. I did not write that. <laughs> I barely read that. I'm not a good reader, and uh, I can't read out loud very well. Two people at this table are not good at reading, and those people will both be putting on old man reader glasses <laughs> as the uh, as the show progresses. Um, I, uh, I've been you've Jimmy, you've had headshots taken. Dave, you have. Yeah, Wayne, certainly. any mm -hmm. anything like this ever happened to you when you're getting a, a headshot taken? I can't tell you about the time that Fred Savage was almost sucking me off. <laughs> I was so defenseless sitting in a chair backwards, of course, like that for a headshot. And before I know it, here comes a little savage cock. Yeah. Why was Fred Savage at the head? You the know, I, the truth be told, the first time I got headshots, Fred Savage was the person getting his headshots right before me. Okay. And so, uh, and the, the photographer uh, said to me, uh, take a look at that kid. Uh, that kid's going to be a huge star one day. I went, yeah, well, now I'm paying you 200 bucks. Let's go. <laughs> So I guess that Savage did okay. So that's I went right to the Savage story. Yeah, I haven't heard of him. I, uh, what's he do now? What's I don't he know. Doing his brother, now? I guess, was on a sitcom that Boy Meets World. His brother did was on that. Yeah, what was that? Ben, I think. Yeah, Ben Savage. Yeah, all right. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I mean, I know there's debauchery and stuff back sure. then. It, it doesn't sound like th- this. This sounds too crazy. Yeah. Really? I can't. I can speak to Dix of Swarman. <laughs> honestly, it's seriously. You start with one, then all of a sudden there's then seven. All of a sudden, right. Dick like, attracts Dick. Yep. And it's, it's the way it is. What are you gonna do, Wayne? What about you? Any stories about that? Nothing like that. But I think it's interesting that there's sort of a theme that maybe Paul Stanley might enjoy some male action. Was sure. what it, was my takeaway oh. from that? Oh, he was right. very defenseless. Yeah. <laughs> Based on the uh, the passage I read. Right, Wait, right, are right. you saying that this gentleman, or or this gentleman? <laughs> See. Wait a minute, is it the same picture? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> no makeup. <laughs> we are saying that Tyne Daly or Paul Stanley. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well, I liked your, sto- I liked your well, story, Jimmy. Uh, Pat, you know the, uh, the Kiss uh, albums more than I do. What's yes. the song there? Whoa, Dick's a swarming. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. Right? What album's that off of? That, that's off of Asylum. Is that Asylum? Yeah. All right. They're caught in the theme of that album. It's a concept album. They're caught in an asylum with all naked buff guys. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Who didn't see it at all? Did you? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, Wayne. We're gonna go. We're gonna go loosey goosey here. Okay. I think you wanted to read. What? Well, I'm, I feel like I'm the only one. This is the only book that doesn't have, have like sort a face of like the, the famous. Yeah. Because of their album. Well, I'm gonna go right to. This is. This is good. Um, this is about being on the road with, uh, no, no, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. Uh, this is about Gene Simmons and this guy, Ace Freely. Um, just so you know, Freely, just so you know, Gene is, um, Jewish, which is like an underlying theme to all of the criticism here. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Now I'm worried now what's going to happen. I No, 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 no. Gene had a lot of unkind things to say about me over the years. Some of the criticism is legitimate. In sobriety, you embrace accountability, and I can't deny that my drinking and drug use eventually became disruptive and problematic. But some of the personal jabs have been harder to take, partly because we were all friends at one time, and we did some remarkable things, and also because Gene wasn't the easiest guy to get along with. You may want to hold up the picture of Gene just so we know what we're talking about. Yeah. This is who he's talking about. This is, this is Gene Simmons. Fastidious. Yeah, fastidious. He wrote this with two other people. Uh, <laughs> I want to give credit to Joe and John here. Fastidious, if not downright anal in his professional life, Gene was an utter mess in his personal life. I don't know if you know about this. I guess having a love for money doesn't have anything to do with cleanliness. I should know, for the first several tours, Gene and I were roommates. Strange, considering we had so little in common. A more logical pairing would have been Paul and Gene in one room, me and Peter in the other. At first, I thought this had to do with the fact that Peter and I were the guys who liked to party, and maybe splitting into us would would reduce the risk of catastrophe. But that wasn't the case at all. Paul Stanley knew Gene well enough to point out to understand he was a lousy roommate. As I quickly discovered, Gene was an epic slob. I remember the first time we were sitting in our hotel room after a show, I looked over at Gene and saw him spitting on the floor over and over again. What the fuck are you doing, man? 
Gene cleared his throat and dragged up another thick wad of phlegm and spat on the carpet. Throat's killing me, he said in a raspy voice. I felt sorry for him. Gene had a problem whenever he did the fire breathing, which we all enjoyed. (laughs) For hours afterwards, he'd be spitting and coughing up shit. The kerosene really agitated his system, which was understandable. What wasn't understandable was his insistence on spitting all over the floor. I was afraid to walk in the bathroom in the middle of the night for fear of stepping in a pile of mucus. Jesus, Gene, can't you at least use a garbage can or something? (sighs) Another glob of phlegm, another puddle on the carpet. It was disgusting, although not as unnerving as the crabs. See, Gene in those days seemed to live in a perpetual state of infestation. He would fuck almost anything, short, tall, plump, svelte, attractive, merely tolerable. (laughs) Those are the categories. We all opened our beds to companionships, but somehow Gene was the one who would end up with bugs in his bush. Again, I'm reading this, just reading the words. I got creeped out just thinking about it when you're rooming with a guy and you know he has pubic lice. It's a little disturbing. Every time I scratched my balls, I'd wonder if whether those little bloodsuckers had crept into my bed as well, leaving me infected simply because of proximity. Sometimes it turns out it just had been that. It wasn't the fact that I shared a room with Gene that left me vulnerable. In those days, we did everything on the fly. Stages were set up and torn down in record time. As a consequence, our costumes were thrown together in a single pile and packed into one suitcase, sometimes without even being washed. You can imagine how that worked out. The suitcase filled with hot, sweaty leather crabs jumping gleefully from the demon to the star child to the cat and to the spaceman. And sure enough, within a few days, we'd all be walking around, tugging at our crotches, scratching incessantly. Gene would just laugh. Shock me! That, uh, that is unbelievable. <laughs> that, I, I would love a new sitcom if we could get a, the, new, the new, new, new odd couple with Ace as the cleanly uh, guy, guy and Gene as the slob. Well, he was, you know, he's very anal and fastidious in his business uh-huh. dealings because it has to do with money, yeah, but in just money. regular... Not so of, much. A lot of spitting, a lot of craps. It, it fair, I, mean, I think Ace is mad at him for some reason. I don't know. I'm getting that. All right. But we were all on the road. So, I mean, I, I, listen, maybe I'm giving too much. We, we've all had crabs, no? <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> I was in a Kiss cover band. I got them. And uh, I had them back in the, uh, in the 80s. I'm not, I'm not ashamed. It's, uh, it happens. Your Kiss cover band was actually called Crabs, and it was with a K. Uh-huh. And then, and, then, and then the lightning bolt S at the end. God, goddamn right. And who are you in that band? What was that? I was the shrimp. <laughs> okay. Hey, I forgot. A big round of applause. Kyle over there. That, there he's the producer of the Rock Solid I podcast. Am. 
Kyle, I forgot I was supposed to give you like half a second to maybe play us into each one of these books to add a little color and to make the people think that they are actually getting some entertainment. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to jump in here. Dave, is it okay if I jump in next? Sure. I know you're off book. Yes. But I'd like to jump in. I'm off book. I'm in character. I'm method. Um, But yeah, please. I'm going to jump into a part where uh, Peter Chris, this is is during the, uh, the farewell tour which was probably 98, 99, 2000. They did so many farewell tours. Did you, did you write a note to yourself on a light uh, post-it note? I did. With a highlighter? Yes, I did. Okay, good. What does this say? Well, can anyone read that? No. No. Because I barely can read it. Either. Yeah. There's talk of getting you smaller reading glasses. You thought about it? Pardon me? These are, I think these are lady glasses. <laughs> oh, don't think anymore. All oh, right. Are you saying without a doubt these are lady glasses? Okay, I, I, I could confirm that for you, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, 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 Kyle, play us in with a little uh, something from Paul Stanley. So room service, that song's about uh, the maid coming up and, uh, and uh, giving you some, uh, yeah, yep, all right. Give me crabs. Crabs. <laughs> Give me your crabs, right. Uh, okay, so I know exactly when this is. Uh, in April 1997, before a show in Georgia... Hang on. Hi. Is that how Paul Stanley sounds? Oh, no. <clears throat> I don't know if I can read the whole thing like Paul Stanley. Do a sentence or two. Let me warm up first. <clears throat> sometimes... <laughs> sometimes people come up to me and they say, Paul, and I say, what? And they say, Paul, what happened in 1997 when you were in Georgia? <laughs> and I say, I got a story about Peter Chris. <laughs> I cannot read as Paul Stanley. <laughs> You'll see I can barely read as me. Okay, so this is difficult to read. You're right. It's, it's very dark. Uh, hmm, okay. In, uh, in April 1997, <laughs> before a show in Georgia, Peter started grousing that his hands hurt. I can't do the show, he said, calling Doc from the hotel room. Doc, that's Doc McGee, that's their manager. Uh, Fine, said Doc. (laughs) Fine, said Doc. He then called Peter's roadie, Eddie. Shave your head, Doc said, you're on tonight. Peter heard about it and went apeshit. The fans will never accept it, he screamed. You can't put someone else out there in my makeup. I disagree, said Doc dryly. (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, Peter, we have a show to do. Eddie shaved and put on Peter's makeup. One, two, three, four. Let's go. We launched into... Oh, I'm sorry. One, two, three, four. We launched into the show. I introduced Eddie from the stage, and surprise, surprise... Oh, it sounded like a little bit of a Gomer Pyle was there. Yeah. Now, that's curious that Paul Stanley would use that phrase. That's Jim Neighbors. Yeah, given what we talked about earlier. Interesting. From the stage, and surprise, surprise, either nobody cared or nobody had time to care. This was the night, and this would be the show. We weren't going to put the show on because Peter's hands hurt. I don't think so, pal, because the show, as they say, must go on. Ace started to get paranoid. He had rented an apartment off La Cienega Boulevard in L.A. and spent days there. But he was convinced the place was bugged, that he was being watched. He pulled all the electrical wires and phone lines out of the place, 
and the owners went crazy. That's what owners do if you do that, guys. So I'd like to teach you, if you're a renter right now, you know, hang a picture, you know, choose your own towels, but leave the wires. Ace also system, good stuff. Ace also started studying our tour books, which contain the tour itinerary, site spe uh, specifications, all sorts of pertinent info. He would bring the tour book to the dressing room and say, how many people paid last night? Let's say the answer was 18,700. Bullshit, he would scream. It says right here, 24,100. Ace, I try to explain, that's the venue capacity, not the number of tickets sold, and it's not the capacity for a concert. Bullshit, Ace would scream again. He had like a Bronx accent if you want to do him as well. <laughs> he actually talks a little like, hey, bullshit, Paul. That's not true. I call foul. <laughs> At the end of the tour in July 1997, Peter and Ace demanded to be made full members again. Yep. We did things your way, Peter said, and we had a huge successful tour. Now we want to be equals. Being stunned by one of these guys was an almost daily occurrence, but this time my jaw dropped. Don't you realize the reason it was a big success is because you two had no input and no say? <laughs> we made a lot of money, and we made a lot of people happy, Peter and Ace. Uh, Peter and Ace were upset because they were now rich again, but not as rich as me and Gene. Uh, there, were people, there were people richer than I was, and I didn't lose sleep over it. And anyway, I deserve more than Peter and Ace did. I stayed when they left. The door swings one way. I nurtured the band and kept it going, and for that alone, I deserve to be better compensated. In a million years, I would never have brought them in as equal members. Not a chance. I'm a six foot, hot look, all-American Tension in that band. Yeah. They don't seem to like each other. <laughs> well, I've, I have evidence here that the problems really began quite early. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah, it seems like they were incompatible right from the very start. And we know what Ace thinks about Gene. Yeah, I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> He's an asshole. Yeah. Well, listen to this. All right, uh, this is when they're assembling the band. Meanwhile, we still didn't have our guitarist. One guy named Bob Kulik had played around town. I don't know if that's how you say his name, but that's how I'm going to say his fucking name. <laughs> and we really liked him. He was close to making it, and we were giving him the golden rules. Number one, you practice all the time. Number two, no phone calls. While we were talking to Bob, in watched this strange-looking guy with two different colored sneakers. One was orange, and one was red. <laughs> we had chairs in the back lined up so you could come in and sit and wait your turn completely oblivious to the fact that we were still talking to Bob this new guy plugged into the Marshall amplifier and started playing hey I said are you out of your mind sit down and wait a second will you it was like he didn't hear me he just kept playing we excused Bob Kulik and we told him that we would call him later we sat this new guy down you better be good I said because two notes into it, if you suck, you're out on your ass. <laughs> he just stared straight at me without any defiance or remorse. <laughs> remorse? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We played Deuce for him twice, and the third time he got ready to play his solo, and it just fit. 
Here was this troublemaker who couldn't match his sneakers <laughs> and didn't have the good manners to wait his turn, and he just fit. What's your name, I said. He said it was Paul Fraley. I said, well, we can't have two Pauls in the band. Then he actually turned around and said, call me Ace. I said, call me King. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> I wasn't joking. Neither was he. That was the foursome. Early on, it was very clear that Ace would enter the band warts and all. He had some very bad self-esteem problems and was a drinker. But in those early days, Peter was actually the most volatile. Mostly it was a cultural divide, one that I couldn't imagine crossing. When we first met Peter, we knew it was going to be a different world because Peter walked up and said, Hi, I'm Peter Quisquola, and I've got a nine-inch dick. <laughs> Paul and I looked at each other quizzically. We were amused, but we didn't know what to make of it. Obviously, guys say stuff with bravado to each other all the time. <laughs> but half the time, it's just to get a rise out of you or a joke. But the way he spoke, his tone, his attitude, they were all bizarre. The same kind of thing happened with Ace. We were at one of our first shows and the truck was loaded up and we were ready to leave. Ace wasn't doing anything. He always had guys who lifted things for him. And he was peeing. We were waiting for him and the truck's lights are on him. He walks over and says, this is what my dick looks like when it's soft. He, wa <laughs> he wanted to show us that he had the inches. So that's a little origin story. It was good, yeah. I, uh, I so innocent at yeah. that time. Yep. Yeah. Little did they know. Just walk around with your dick swinging. Right. Showing your inches. Yeah. I loved your take on the Gene Simmons character. Oh, thanks. It's very forceful. Yeah, sure. He, all business. Brusque. Doesn't, doesn't like even the littlest thing about two different color shoes Can't sets the man it. off. Can't take it. Can't no. Take it. You're not going to. This guy? Come yeah. on. Not going to tell her. shoes. The guy with crabs? Yeah. He's not going to put up with his <laughs> dick sneakers all different colors? Yeah. Pat, no way. The fastidious guy with crabs. <laughs> <laughs> the fastidious guy with crabs. Yes, James? I've got some proof here that Peter Chris does live a crazy lifestyle. Yeah. Let's oh, do okay. it. Well, I, I like that you're taking, the, uh, you're taking the initiative to jump right in. I thought it was a nice segue. I was almost totally bathed in that white light when I began to hear some noises. They seemed indistinct at first, but. Then I thought that I heard my name being repeated over and over. And in the background, I could hear horrific screaming and the words, Oh, God, help me! Help me! I can't take the pain! Finally, I opened my eyes and saw four doctors staring into my face. I was really pissed off that they prevented me from going to heaven. <laughs> Cat heaven. <laughs> He's got eight more lives. I don't yeah, know what he's, he's talking about. Eight more lives. It's right, it's right in the makeup. Know. Yeah, you should know. What the fuck's up? Yeah. Everyone, the kids know that. Shut the fuck up, I yelled. <laughs> Take it easy, Mr. Chris, said one of the doctors. You're in a hospital and you're in good hands. You got a little bent out of shape in that accident. Then they filled me in. Fritz had been doing 90 miles per hour when he hit two telephone poles. Hold it. Fritz the cat? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, let me go to the back for uh, <laughs> See if there's an index. See if that was for the I got to tell you, if Morris is in there, something's up. I'm, oh, this is, oh, this is this guy. It's, it's actually uh, Fritz Coleman, the weatherman. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. 
So that's a different story altogether. Uh, Fritz, uh, Fritz had been doing 90 miles, uh, 90 miles per hour when he hit two telephone poles, knocked down a mailbox, and sideswiped four cars before ramming into a huge pole that caused the engine to blow up. The explosion threw me through the windshield and 50 feet into the air, at which point, and this is part of where Pat says, it's fucking ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Uh, at Wait, which point, just so we're clear, the engine blew up yes. and, yeah. and threw him through the windshield? Through the windshield, through the windshield. 50 feet in the 50 air. 50 feet in the air. And then Wayne, he <laughs> went face, uh, face first. Landed on his feet. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> He went face first into a curb in a fetal position. Oh. Right? We all saw American History X. If, you, if your face hits a curb, you're dead. Yeah, you're dead. So, when the, when the cops arrived at the scene, they didn't even know I was there. They thought I was just some debris on the side of the road. When they finally found me, my heart had stopped, and they had to revive me on the scene. As it was, I had broken all my ribs and all my fingers when I went through the windshield, as well as busting my nose and sustaining a concussion. Uh, I was the lucky one. <laughs> Fritz had been belted in and he got caught in the inferno he had burns over 70% of his body which was why he was in such agony well that makes sense then <laughs> he was so badly burnt that they had to give him morphine through the bottom of his feet uh, Bill Coin was one of the, the first civilians on the scene he took pictures of the wreck but could never show them to me they were too horrific they wheeled me into a private room and I passed out again again I don't know how he says it <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy that wants to show off his dick he's not saying again yeah when I came to, the adrenaline had, uh, adrenaline had worn off, and I was in agony. Lydia, that was his wife at the time, uh, moved into a nearby hotel and visited me every day. Unbeknownst to her, Deb, one of his, uh, uh, what did they say on The Sopranos? Uh, the, uh, when it's a side, uh, little side piece? What is it? Uh, what is it? Guma. Uh, Guma. Thank you, sir. Uh, unbeknownst to her, Deb uh, drove uh, by the hospital every day and looked up to my room. Uh, she was, I mean, imagine that's unbeknownst to everybody. <laughs> Just somebody driving by. Hey, oh, look at that fucking woman again. Uh, she was afraid to come in and bump into Lydia, so she sent me a single red rose. I had so many flowers in that room that it looked like a funeral, par uh, funeral parlor. But they started getting stinky and, make, uh, and making me sick. So I threw all of them out except for that one single red rose, which by then had withered considerably. Why are you keeping that one rose? Lydia asked. <laughs> I don't know, I lied. There's just something about it. That's a great lie, Peter. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm your wife. Why wouldn't you tell me? I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, after a few weeks in the hospital, Paul came to visit. He walked in indignantly, indignantly, and looked down at me with disgust. <laughs> Look at Paul. you. You really fucked up. No shit, I said. How long are you going to be here, he asked. I don't know, a while, I said. Well, you have to do your solo album. How could you do this? You're really a fucking idiot. <laughs> well, I just came to see, I just came here to see how you're doing, he said. You're not going to see me again. Oh, and Gene wanted me to tell you that he thinks you're a loser and a moron. <laughs> <laughs> and that you deserve everything you got. Good luck with your solo album, but he refuses to set foot in this hospital. Really? Yeah, he wanted me to relay that message. Well, you did, so get the fuck out. <laughs> Unlike the other two, Ace was by my side from the get-go. He came in uh, the day after I was admitted. Cat, look at you! <laughs> I'm in such pain, brother, I complained. Fuck this, he said, and stormed out looking for a doctor. Seconds later, he dragged the doctor into the room. You give him something for his fucking pain, or I will burn this hospital down. <laughs> 
Better yet, I'll buy it and fire every motherfucker in here, Ace said. Is that Ace Memorial Hospital now? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> you don't go over to ACE? <laughs> I, mean, I absolutely do. Uh, the best care. A security guard came into the room because he heard all the commotion. Ace didn't care. <laughs> Bring in more bodyguards. I'll kick their asses too. One night I was lying in bed in the hospital when this young nurse came in. Hi, Mr. Chris. How you feeling? I feel like shit, I said. I need painkillers. I can't sleep. Well, I'll take care of you. She opened up the IV and got some of that morphine drip. You feeling any better? Yes, I said dreamily. Uh, I can make you feel even better, she said. And she pulled the blanket down and gave me a blowjob. What? I couldn't believe it. (laughs) It was like something you read in penthouse form, except she wasn't good looking. Not that I complained. (laughs) But noted in his book. (laughs) But but just in case you're reading this book 40 years later, lady, know something. You're disgusting to me. You're hideous and you're lucky to suck off my morphine-filled cock. <laughs> what an asshole. Yeah, I, Why would he have to bring... I liked it, but big bit, this woman was filthy. Oh, terrible. <laughs> terrible. Oh Shouldn't have left the house, but I'll take that mouth around my crank. My nine inches. How fucking dare he? Uh, here we go. The worst uh, book. Not that I complain. Uh, when she finished, she smiled. I just wanted to be able to say that I gave Peter Chris a blowjob. I'm a big fan of your band. It was a great blowjob. I was coming, and I was in pain, and I had a kink in my back all at the same time. She went and got a basin, wet a face cloth, and washed my dick. Washed my balls. And then put the blanket back on me. Good night, Mr. Chris. I never saw her again. Wait a minute. Was she? She might have been like that ghost that gave Dan Aykroyd a blowjob in the first Ghostbusters movie. Let me ask you a question. I haven't seen that movie in a while. Is that ghost ugly? Yeah, it wasn't anything I would you know, kick out of bed. Sounds like it's her. Yeah. Well, my favorite part of that story is just like I always wanted to be able to say that I gave a, um, Peter Chris. She could have said that. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without doing it. Any Yeah. Without doing it. Right. I, yeah. Uh, it was incredible. I came and my back hurt a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not. What was it? Was a crick in yeah. his back? What did yeah. he say? Yeah, he's got a little kink in his back. Kink. Yeah, a little kink in his back. Yeah. And what did he broke? He broke every finger. That's right, every finger. What else? Uh, his nose. Nose. His ribs. Uh, and every rib. Every rib. Every rib. Every rib. Every single rib. Somehow the nine inches, not hurt at all. No. <laughs> nope. Nope. Maybe not erect at the time. That goes yeah, through a windshield. They, oh, that comes right <laughs> off. Popping all around. Saws right off. Yeah. Now, Peter seems to be accident prone. (laughs) (laughs) His hands hurt right before a concert. Sure, sure. Uh, And uh, I can't believe that your bandmates would come to take the time to come visit you in person, face to face, and then say, you're a loser and an asshole and a piece of shit. And Gene said the same thing. And by the way, you better record that solo album. (laughs) Because that's important. Because that's our money maker. But what were you going to say, Dave? No, I was just going to say, uh, he's, he has a history of, of uh, being accident prone and making terrible decisions. Oh, and, you got, and Gene wants mind? to say anything? Gene no. have anything John, to say about it? Let's well, what Gene says. I don't know. Let's find out together. Okay. <laughs> By the time of the Dynasty recording sessions, the whole band was being pulled apart. The biggest problem was Peter. 
<laughs> who was by this point becoming unhealthy, in part because of the chemicals, and certainly because he wasn't allowed to play drums. We'd always been able to placate him before, but this time, under even more pressure, he became harder to control. As we got ready to finish Dynasty, Bill O'Coin sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> alerted us to the idea of a Return to Kiss campaign and told us we were, gonna, we were going in for a cover shoot with Scavulo, the big fashion photographer. He put us in straight jackets. We got the photos done, and they looked great. <laughs> a few days later, we did a video session for a series of television commercials keyed to the same theme. That session went less smoothly. <laughs> the direct, director insisted on take after take, and the day was getting longer. Peter was especially unhappy with the way it was going, so he ran into the bathroom and started to complain. Bill O'Coin tried to calm Peter down. Peter then got so upset, either with himself or with the way things were going, and I assumed that the chemicals in his system <laughs> had something to do with it, that he took his fist and smashed it into a glass case so hard that a shard went right through his hand. Oh boy. Yeah. He had to be taken to a hospital and stitched up. Now, th now there was a question of whether there was even going to be a tour, whether Peter's damaged tendons would allow him to use his right hand at all. We were horrified. Our initial thought right away was for Peter's safety because we lived with him and cared about him. <laughs> no matter the consistent torture he put us through. But afterward, when the shock of the accident wore off, Paul and I got angry. Oh my God, we would say, what an idiot! Can you imagine being so upset at anything that you drive your fist through a glass case? The whole James Dean lifestyle never appealed to me. <laughs> because after that guy dies in a car crash, I'm gonna sleep with his girlfriend. That's Wait, right. Is he talking about James Dean? Yeah, I guess. No, not James Dean's girlfriend. I didn't quite understand that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so Peter was living the James Dean lifestyle, which said, Gene don't... does not care for. Oh, I got it. I you got think it. Gene fucked Deb? <laughs> Peter's girl? Yeah, Deb's the one driving around the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's out there fucking her? I tell you how you find out. You go to his dressing room, and if he's got a rose in there... Oh, you're a good detective. Yeah. Gene, why do you have that rose in there? And he, he would go, because I fucked your girlfriend. Oh. That's probably what Gene would say. That's not good lying at all. No, no, he wouldn't lie about it. He'd be proud of it. Absolutely. Wayne, what, what do you got for well, us? Well, no, one of the things I'm noticing is that it seems like there's uh, Gene and... What's his name? Paul. Paul. <laughs> Gene and Paul Camp. And yeah. they just belittle these two guys. Yeah. <laughs> the two guys... The, yeah, they... they, is, they, that, they is that the dynamic of yeah. this band? You a big Kiss fan? <laughs> you seem to know a lot about it. You seem pretty. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah that's what's up. Everyone knows what. Those two were like, they were right. okay. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, thanks for sitting down front. Well, let's talk about this because in 1978, as a marketing ploy, what happened? They decided to release four albums at the same day, each from a different member of Kiss. The and solo albums, Wayne. The solo albums. Okay. Yes. That's so, what they're known as. So Aces, Ace Fraley was released on September 18th, 1978. As a matter of fact, all four Kiss albums were released on that day, a marketing stunt orchestrated by Neil Bogart in an attempt to maximize publicity and sales. The results were mixed, to say the least. <laughs> 
Critically speaking, Ace Frehley was the most successful of the four albums. Wait, who's saying that? Ace is saying this okay. at this time. <laughs> well, guess what else Ace says? I expected that. <laughs> My goal was to make a really good, solid, guitar-based rock album, and I did it. The shock to almost everyone was that Ace Frehley was also the most successful of the solo albums from a commercial standpoint. So he's saying it was critically acclaimed and yeah. outselling all the other, the other three albums and producing a top 20 single, New York Groove. Nah. All right, the moment's over, the moment's over, the moment's over. <laughs> Okay, so he, I remember hearing all the stories about what the other guys were doing and how they were putting their records together and what their strategies were. <laughs> when I heard that Gene was going to have a bunch of guest stars on his record, I couldn't imagine what he was thinking. Helen Reddy? <laughs> really, Gene? What the fuck? <laughs> Even in Kiss, Gene would sometimes make choices that were so wrong. I know that probably sounds pretty jealous or envious given that Kiss remains a juggernaut after all these years, but it's really not. There were a few times I tried to steer the band away from making what I perceived to be a terrible decision. Peter and I were the ones with the street sense, with bullshit detectors, <laughs> if you will. Paul and Gene two Jewish guys, had no street sense whatsoever, especially Gene. You can hold up the book. Oh, That's Gene. that guy. <laughs> he led a very sheltered, straight life, but his take on certain things was incredibly cynical and jaded. Sometimes he'd come up with an idea, and I'd say, what are you, fucking nuts? You can't do that. But it was always about making money, advancing the brand, it was never about the music. Never. He didn't even know the difference between what was cool and what wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things. <laughs> he did not know the difference. No. Either one. <laughs> no, you know, I see. No idea. I mean, come on. How could you not know that Helen Reddy was a very bad idea? <laughs> Her presence alone would make a Kiss fan like this gentleman say, Fuck you, Gene. <laughs> I'm not buying that piece of shit. The people you choose to work with on a solo album says a lot about you. <laughs> but I don't think Gene realized it. Or maybe he didn't care. Half the time, I didn't know what was going on through Gene's mind. But I could always see dollar signs <laughs> reflected in his eyes. <laughs> Now, since you, he was down on Gene on this, I would like to hear what Gene says about yeah. those same four solo albums. Okay. By the way, if you see dollar signs reflected in someone's eyes, that means you're holding up a dollar yeah. sign, right? That's true. No. <laughs> That's true. Right? Which one like behind his eyes, it was reflected. Mm -hmm. Which one of those three writers wrote that? That doesn't know how a mirror or reflective glass works or eyes. Uh, okay, so that was a long that was a long piece from Ace about about like the themes of the solo albums. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and the brand and what, right. what was going to be cool. Helen Reddy, cool. Yeah. Well, let's. Um, 
Let's hear, let's hear uh, what Gene focuses on when it comes to the four solo albums. Uh, the solo project was unprecedented. No other group in history had ever released four solo albums simultaneously. All the albums did well. They sold strong initially and have continued to perform. <laughs> After 20 plus years of sales figures, I'm at the top. <laughs> slightly ahead of Ace, who's slightly ahead of Paul, Peters sold the least well of the four. None of the albums really yielded hits. Peter didn't chart. And I command you to kneel before the God of Thunder and Rock and Roll. The spell you're under will slowly rob you of your virgin soul. <laughs> <laughs> So Gene's all about the bottom line. 100%. That was just... Well, yeah, number 13 hit with New yeah. York. Yeah. 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 Well. These continue to do uh, well, though. Gene's book oh, yeah. came out in uh, 2001. Yep. These things are still flying off the shelves. Oh, they perform. <laughs> they perform. <laughs> <laughs> they continue to perform. Uh, I think we have to close out uh, with... Um, there's, a, there's a famous thing that Kiss did in the 70s. They did a made-for-TV movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Mm-hmm. And that was, a, that was a major story in all these books. They all talk about it. So I'm going to jump in first, give Paul's recollections of uh, the movie Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. One of Bill's follies, that's Bill, that was their manager at the time. One of Bill's follies was the movie Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. He thought that film was the next step for us. The Beatles had Hard Day's Night and Help, and we should have our film. He sold it to us as Hard Day's Night meets Star Wars, which... <laughs> <laughs> which had come out the year before. It would have lots of cool special effects. By the way, many TV movies in 1978 are known for their special effects. <laughs> Nobody in the band had the slightest clue about acting. None of us read the script. We didn't care. When we started filming, it, it didn't take an expert in the field, in the field of acting, I guess, in the field to know that we were in deep shit and there was no getting out of it. The director asked us each, after each scene, whether we thought it was good. <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing. For us, a good take was one where we didn't blow our lines. If we said the right words, we moved on to the next shot. Someone off camera fed our lines. When we got ready to roll the camera, I yelled, line. Yeah, can someone read me my line? I hope it's a sweet line. Something about asparagus. <laughs> a lot of special effects, but asparagus. I know. Uh, I, would, I yelled line, and someone said something like, gee, Ace, it's time we get going. Then I said, gee, Ace, it's time we get going. That's a keeper. <laughs> it was horrific. It didn't remotely resemble acting. In one scene, we levitated a box using wires. We assumed the wires would be rendered invisible by special effects people. Not so. <laughs> <laughs> do that do that in the Paul voice <laughs> not so <laughs> meanwhile <clears throat> I have a little schmuckus <clears throat> meanwhile the four of us you know when you read a, a book written by a Jew you get schmuckus sometimes so <laughs> meanwhile you meanwhile the, <laughs> the four of us weren't speaking unless we were delivering lines Peter and Ace frequently left during filming 
In one scene, we had to use Ace's stunt double, who happened to be black. <laughs> After Ace left without notice, it was clear as day in the final version that it wasn't Ace. We had to play a fake concert at Magic Mountain Amusement Park for another scene. When we were on stage, I turned around and saw some random old man in cat makeup and a wig playing the drums and chewing gum. Peter had taken off and they threw this guy up there. When the movie was finished, we saw it at a screening at the Screen Actors Guild Theater on Sunset Boulevard. If you thought it was bad on a TV screen, you should have seen it on the big screen. People openly laughed. I slunk down in my seat. It was humiliating. The finished film was absolutely awful. And to have to stand there when the lights came up while various people who had been involved and came over to lie about how great it was, it was much more humiliating. Around the time of, the, of that concert at Magic Mountain, Ace had first announced he wanted to leave the band. He held a band meeting on the lot where we were shooting the movie. In response, Bill and Neil had almost immediately hit on an idea to hold us together. We'll do solo albums. Well, I mean, I feel like I've read too much, but if you want to hear why Ace had to leave that set and have the sure. black guy take over All his right, role. let's hear it. A lot of Kiss, he's an alcoholic, this guy. A lot of Kiss meets the Phantom of the Park, was filmed at Magic Mountain where we performed a concert, okay. Although some of the interior scenes were done in Culver City. Regardless of where we were filming, I had to be on the set at 8 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Which was a complete drag for me in those days. I mean, it wasn't like I was getting eight hours of beauty sleep each night. <laughs> night. I was busy being ace. <laughs> Hitting the clubs, sometimes partying to the wee hours. Who the hell wants to get it up at 7 a.m. with a hangover? Not me, that's for sure. It didn't take long to figure out that most of movie making is hanging around in your trail all day, waiting for someone to tell you they need you on the set. That really made me crazy. Here I am, one of the stars of the film, <laughs> and you would think they would make be a little more considerate. Maybe let me know the night before. Don't these fucking people plan? Truth is, I was doing a lot of coke at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and my nerves were <laughs> becoming frayed, to say the least. And I was getting an ounce of blow delivered to my trailer once a week. The delivery boy was actually one of the actors on the set. It was really nuts. For the most part, I was clueless. I didn't realize that this is, was the way the, the movies worked. That downtime is a big part of an actor's day. Maybe the biggest part. And so by the third or fourth time that it happened, I snapped. I totally went off on the producers. I said, fuck this. I said to myself, I'm out of here. He couldn't get up in the morning. No, it's, it's hard. 
when you when you're drinking all night, he wouldn't think to. Well, you know what? I got to work tomorrow. Maybe I won't drink all night. Maybe I won't do cocaine. No, nice. Maybe I won't do coke. Busy He's, being an ace. Yeah. <laughs> What's Peter? I bet Peter has a fantastic take. Really. On the movie making industry. No? Not really. It's the one thing in his book that he's kind of a, a dullard on, but really? uh, let's find out together. All right. I was going into the shooting of the film with mixed feelings to begin with. I had always wanted to act, but the plot of this film was that we had, uh, that it was that we had to use our superpowers to save a California amusement park from destruction at the hands of an evil inventor. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds reasonable. It does sound like Star Wars. <laughs> I will admit that. It does sound <laughs> like Star Wars. It was the lamest thing I could have imagined. When I was told that we had to fight the Wolfman one day and Frankenstein the next, my brain started to hurt. <laughs> Why should I have powers to levitate things with my hands? What did any of this have to do with rock and roll? Our fans were going to think that we were pansies. I became a drummer in, rock and roll, in a rock and roll band because I was a rebel. I was fighting the system, fighting the Vietnam War. Now we're just buffoons. <laughs> What happened to the guys that got up there and did God of Thunder and Black Diamond? All of a sudden, we're doing slapstick? I knew right then that my career as a rock musician was down the toilet. I'm a child to get away, to get away, to leave this old town. I'm a child to see my way, to see my way, so I won't be found. Many times I felt alone, I felt alone, but that's only So, he's upset about this, but not about wearing kitty cat makeup. That's right. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, it's ridiculous that they're going to levitate stuff. Unbelievable. That's a lot of bullshit. <laughs> How do my whiskers look, Gene? <laughs> are they you're, even? You're a loser. Those are the worst whiskers I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, green makeup growing down. <laughs> what about, does Gene have, because Gene acted for a little bit. Yeah, well, after sure. the fact. Did he really? Yeah, he did. Did some parts. He was in a Tom Selleck movie. Oh, we don't. Runaway. Thank you. Not he was the villain. It. How about it? And at the end, Tom Selleck puts a grenade in his mouth uh-huh. and, and pulls the pin. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> that seems high, sir. Uh, yeah. Um, Doug Benson shows in next week. <laughs> Uh, well, right away, uh, Gene reveals himself as a show business insider. Let me just. <laughs> let me just. Midway through 1978, Hanna-Barbera, the famous cartoon producers, (laughs) approached us about being in a movie. We'd already been in Howard the Duck (laughs) and in the Marvel comic book. We had an initial meeting, and they told us about the idea, and we shrugged our shoulders and said, that sounds fine. (laughs) The movie was shot shot at an amusement park called Magic Mountain, which had the biggest roller coaster in the world. We were literally never on a soundstage. Wait a minute. What about Culver Not City? According to, Culver City. No. According to no, this, is a, this is a little Trump-like, too. It's yeah. like the biggest, yeah. it's got the biggest coaster. Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> yeah. Scooby-Doo. Gooba and the Ghost Chasers. The Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan. Top cat. My Asians love me, too. I'm going to say that right now. The, the Chans love me. Go ahead. Uh, the entire story took place in the park. The, the story was... A mad scientist was terrorizing visitors to this haunted amusement park. Kiss helped to unmask the scientist 
and solve the mystery. That's Star Wars. That isn't that Star Wars. That's exactly. What I that love that the, the kiss has to unmask someone. <laughs> 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 oh, irony. Go ahead. <laughs> by, by that time, Ace and Peter were miserable. Kiss was on the covers of all the magazines. All the magazines. Vogue, yeah. Cosmo, New Yorker, yeah. Boy's Life, Grit, Popular Mechanics. Uh, but it was often a solo shot only of me. Sometimes Paul got a cover, but it was hardly ever Ace, and it was never Peter. That's him being said. This wasn't anything I planned. The press picks up on whoever they pick up on. Ace and Peter <laughs> thought I arranged and connived to keep them off the covers. They still had their chance. We had two writers with us who were writing the script for Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Two. <laughs> and they wanted to get a sense of how everybody talked before they wrote the script. Ace in those days was non-communicative. I was busy being Ace. He was busy being Ace. <laughs> I didn't talk a lot. I was busy being Ace and doing coke. He didn't say much. No matter what you said to him, he would often make this parrot sound. Awk. <laughs> Nobody understood it. And when he wasn't making the parrot noise, he would mumble nonsense to, nonsense to himself. 13 for a dozen. Or, I kills them all one by one. <laughs> and then he would laugh. <laughs> These phrases meant something only to Ace, and nobody had a clue what he was talking about. So when the script came in, Ace's character never spoke. He only said, Ork. <laughs> Ork. Ace was furious. He wanted to know why they didn't give him any lines. To their credit, they turned around and said, What are you, nuts? You have never said anything to us except Ork. <laughs> we thought that's the way you want to talk. <laughs> Ace said he had a lot to say. Well, he should have said it. <laughs> when we did Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, Peter had been involved in yet another car accident. <laughs> he skidded 400 feet before he crashed, and he wound up in the hospital. When he did speak in the movie, he was impossible to understand because of his thick Brooklyn accent. So his voice was dubbed by someone else. Even the simple matter of getting Peter and Ace in front of the camera didn't always work out. Sometimes they went missing. They just didn't come to the set. The only solution was to use doubles. For Ace, an African-American stunt double. <laughs> For Peter, we had a 55-year-old guy and we put makeup on him. Of course you fucking did, your kiss. Your kiss, your kiss. Can I interject real quickly and just tell you a little about what happened when Ace... Oh, but let me just, let me just bottom line this real okay, quick. Okay, okay. Bottom line it, Dave. Making the movie wasn't smooth, it wasn't easy, and it wasn't particularly fun, but like almost everything else we did then, it was a success. <laughs> hey, that's enough. It's in my body, all my I just wanted to... You want to get some Ace? No, just what Ace said about this awk moment, because okay. he writes about it. Okay. He writes about getting the script. Uh, Every time my character was supposed to speak, the only thing that would come out of his mouth was the sound of a parrot. Awk. 
That was exactly what was written on the page. Three capital letters. A-W-K. Awk. I guess the writers picked up on a quirk of my personality. (laughs) (laughs) This is beautiful. (laughs) Although I'm not sure where they got that information. Sometimes when I get loaded and didn't want to engage in conversation, I'd mimic the squawk of a parrot until the other person would just give up and walk away. That's, that's, normal, that's normal behavior, right? That's Ace being Ace, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> all right, before we go, uh, we're all going to go down the line and we're going to do some final thoughts from the book. Oh. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Uh, we appreciate you indulging us. Um, we could do this again sometime. These books are very, very thick and heavy. Yeah. So uh, final thoughts. I will go with... Uh, I will start first. We'll do a little... Of Paul's final thoughts, then we'll do Wayne, and we'll move right down. Okay. Or no, Wayne, you're going to go last. Okay. There was a time when people said nobody in this band could be replaced. It had to be the four of us. Well, they're already 50% wrong. (laughs) And they're going to find out at some point that they're 75% wrong. And then 100% wrong. I'm I'm objective enough about myself to realize that no matter how good I am, And I think I'm damn good. There's somebody else out there who can do something equally valid. I think that being replaced would be a huge compliment, not a detriment. (laughs) It's part of what I hope we've built, an ideal that goes far beyond me. I look forward to the day that I'm replaced in KISS, not because I want to leave, but because it will prove I'm right. KISS is bigger than any of its members. I've always said that I'm not just a member of KISS, I'm a member of the KISS Army. I look forward to watching the band I love continue to rock and roll all night after my body is too shot to make it to the party every day. We wanted to go where no band had gone before. (laughs) We wanted our fans to be proud of us and leave our concerts with big grins on their faces. We wanted to stand guilty as charged by the poor, deluded critics who thought they were insulting us by charging that we made complete spectacles of ourselves. You're damn right we did. That's a tough sentence. (laughs) (laughs) We wanted, finally and most important, to let our fans, the Kiss Army know that they were the only reason we were doing this, that when they came to see us live and heard our call to arms, you wanted the best, you got the best, the hottest band in the world, KISS, they would know in their hearts we wouldn't let them down. KISS will continue. Maybe not in the way you expect, but it will live on. There will be a KISS cartoon. (laughs) There will be KISS theme parks. There are already, as you read this, KISS caskets. They say you can't take it with you. I say you can. (laughs) My mother taught me to dream big. Reach for the sky, she would say. And to her, I owe 
everything. And to America, sweet America. <laughs> Thank you for making a poor little immigrant boy's dreams come true. And there's a full-length picture of him touching tongues with Shannon Tweed. Yeah. <laughs> the end. It's, it's funny. When I look back to when I first started playing music, I remember telling my mom that all I wanted in life was a cute white picketed fence, a house. Scratching post. <laughs> <laughs> and a gold 45 record on the wall. Well, I got a lot more, uh, I got a lot more uh, than that. I achieved things beyond my wildest dreams, so how, now it's time to go into a new phase and enjoy the rest of my years. I really don't want to put on the spandex and scream black diamond anymore. But I still play the drums every day. I still write songs. Whether I put them out eventually doesn't really matter to me. I'm a musician first and foremost. I'll always be going into my studio, putting in the time, jotting down lyrics. I'd still love to act. <laughs> I've had and have a wonderful life. Gene and Paul have tried to rewrite history <laughs> by downplaying my contributions to the band. On several CD releases, they even deleted my songs from the playlists. On DVD releases, they edited me out of my close-ups, focusing primarily on themselves. Seemed like they were trying to erase me and my songs. So you might wonder now, how does Ace feel about Kiss? <laughs> Fair enough. Here's my response. <laughs> this poor guy. At this point in my life, I just need to let things go. Holding on resentments can really make you ill, so I'll leave the dirty work to my attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> you've been served, gentlemen. You've been served. I can, <laughs> I can sum up the kiss situation. Oh, this is great. And just the, I can sum up the kiss situation in just five Simple words. What goes around comes around. That's four words. Okay. Uh, no matter what happens, I'll be just fine. That being said, in reality, I think they're just a bunch of dirty, rotten whores. Awk. I'm not making that up. It Awk. ends with awk. It ends with awk. All right. Thank the audience. Give yourselves a round of applause. Cue the music.
Kyle, Kyle, sit down with me, and we look through all these books. And so, Kyle, thank you for researching with me. And everyone on the panel tonight, Kitty Cat, Jimmy Pardo, The Demon, Dave Holmes, Spaceman, Wayne Fetterman, and I'm the star child, Pat Francis. Thank you for coming. Good night. <laughs>